Welcome to The Measuring Line. This is your host, Heath Meadows. So I was surfing through YouTube and came across an older video. This, I believe, was last year because I remember hearing the buzz on this. And it was a clip from Joe Rogan's interview with Jordan Peterson. Now, I don't promote the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, it's got a lot of bad language on it. Most 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 of it does, but not everything. And there are small clips that he puts out there on YouTube that, you know, for the most part, doesn't have any foul language in it. And it depends on the, on the guest that he has, too. I mean, if he's got Snoop Dogg or somebody like that on there, you know it's not going to probably be Christian friendly. But there's, he's had, I mean, he has such a plethora of different people that he interviews. It's really quite genius. I mean, he can even interview Snoop Dogg one week and Elon Musk the next. And so depending upon who he's interviewing, you, you can, you know, sometimes it's a crapshoot, but you can take your chances. But there are people that he'll have on there that, you know, I'll stop and listen to the clip because they're, I, I'm, I'm curious of what they have to say about a topic or whatnot. And I'm sometimes just as guilty as anybody else's clicking on clickbait. But Jordan Peterson was on there. And if you don't know who he is, he is a Canadian psychologist, pretty famous, got a lot of attention in the 2010s for views on culture and political issues. He's, he's described as a conservative, but he himself says he's a British liberal and traditionalist but really has some fascinating insights into the human psych psychology. And we have to remember something before we dive into this, because he, he presents something on scripture here that I think is actually revelation. I, I really do. We have to remember, sometimes we get so spiritually minded, we're no earthly good. And God created man and woman out of the physical creation. We are not created like the angels divine beings. We are not divine beings. We have the divine in us or some kind of, we don't quite understand, but we know we're eternal. Some of this stuff's really hard to wrap our minds around, but I know this, that if you study the Bible, once, if Jesus, when Jesus, say Jesus comes back, those that are dead in Christ will arise, and then we also will meet him in the air, okay? And then we are transformed in the twinkling of an eye into something that we're not 100% sure what it looks like, but we know it's a physical type of body. It's some kind of body very similar to the one that Jesus had. Now, we're not going to be Jesus, but we're some kind of body that similar to what Jesus had, but it's a physical thing because we know that the apostles— touched Jesus. They touched the holes in his hand. They, they had breakfast with him by the, by the sea. So we know after his resurrection, so we know that that's some kind of physical being. So to, to think that all physical, everything physically in this world is bad, is kind of Gnostic. And we need to stay away from that because God created everything in the physical universe and he called it good and when he called when he created human beings he called it very good and so there are things about us our psychological makeup that we tend as a church to kind of dismiss and i really like now i think there's spiritual aspects to these passages that jordan is going to reference but i think we also have to start recognizing the psychological healing that many of us have to have because of maybe some things we've come through in our childhood or whatnot. And I think this clip here, I think Jordan Peterson does a brilliant job of really pulling that out. So we're going to listen to the clip and then we're going to, after the clip's over, I'm going to talk about it just for a few minutes, but he is referencing, in case you're wondering, Numbers 21, 
when Moses makes the serp, the bronze serpent and puts it on a pole in order for the snakes that God had sent into the camp to stop. And then he references John three fourteen, where Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. So I'm going to play this clip and then we are going to talk about it after it's over. I think it's about seven or eight minutes. It's, it's a, it's, it's short. Moses leads his people out of the tyranny, right? But weirdly enough, they don't go to the promised land. This is very weird. They go into the desert. Well, why? Well, we're all, say, prisoners of our own tyrannical misconceptions and misperceptions, psychologically and socially. So let's say we, we free ourselves from those. Well, then we're nowhere. At least we were guided by that. That's why people have nostalgia for tyranny. It's like at least we had enough to eat then. At least we knew who we were then. It's like out of the tyrant's grasp into the desert. And so you think, why don't people want to challenge their own preconceptions? It's like, yeah, it's out of the tyranny into the desert. And the worse the tyranny, the worse the desert. So if you've been tormenting yourself with tyrannical preconceptions and totalitarian obligations and you decide to drop it, or maybe you're shocked out of that by trauma. You don't go to paradise. You go to the desert. Maybe that's even worse. So no wonder people don't do it. So now the Israelites are out in the desert. You think, why are they there for 40 years? And maybe it's because it takes three generations to recover from tyranny. You're in the desert, man. And so the Israelites start worshiping idols. It's ideology. It's the same thing. And that's why, because they don't have anything to orient themselves, because they're not tyrannized anymore, and they get all fractious, and they fight with themselves, and Moses has to spend, like, all day judging their conflicts, because otherwise they're at each other's throats, and anyways, they turn to false idols. And so God isn't very happy about this, and he sends poisonous snakes in there to bite them. So it's like, (laughs) out of the tyranny, into the desert, now we're fractured by ideologies. Now the poisonous snakes come. And so the poisonous snakes are biting them and biting them and <laughs> biting them. And they finally break down and go to Moses and say, look, you want to have a chat with God and get him to call off the damn snakes? And Moses says, yeah, okay. And so he goes and talks to God. And God says, this is weird. This is one of those impossibly weird stories. You think this is either insane or it's true, because that's the only options. It's not boring. It's not predictable. It's either insane or it's true. Okay. And maybe we can start by thinking it's insane, but whatever. Moses talks to God, and God God could just call off the snakes, right? That's what you'd expect him to do, but that isn't what happens. He says, go make an image of a snake in bronze and make an image of a stick, like a staff, and put the snake on the staff, and then stick it in the ground. And then have the Israelites go and look at the snake. And then the snakes won't bite them anymore. So, so the snake, You the have staff. to go look on the snake. Yes. Okay. Here's a doctrine from all fields of psychotherapy. Okay. Look at what you're terrified of, and you will get braver. So the, the classic therapeutic treatment for terror... And the poisoning that terror induces is exposure, voluntary exposure. exposure. Yeah. Okay, so so the, the the pattern there is face face what you're face what you're most afraid of, right. and you will be free. 
Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Voluntarily. Yeah. Now, that's a doctrine of psychotherapy now. Right. Okay. So, now, that's weird. That's weird. So, God doesn't chase away the snakes. He makes everyone braver. Mm. Okay, because that's better than being safe. Bravery is better than safety. It's a more reliable cure for terror. Okay, now, that's cool. But this is even more cool. In the Gospels, Christ says that he has to be lifted up like the serpent in the desert. You think, what the hell does that possibly mean? Because, well, that's a snake first on a stick. And Christ is comparing himself to a snake on a stick? Okay, so what is this? What can this possibly mean? Well, I was thinking about that in relationship to imagery of the crucifix and the story that surrounds it. So Jung thought that the passion story was archetypal because it's a limit story like this, <laughs> this debate at Oxford. You cannot write a more tragic story. It's impossible, technically. Why? Well, because it's a story of the aggregation of everything that people are afraid of. So there was no death more painful than crucifixion. That's why the Romans invented it. It was to punish political miscreants. It was the slow, agonizing death by suffocation, essentially, and, and, and dehydration and exposure. It's extraordinarily painful. Okay, so that sucks. That's pain, man. Plus, you know it's coming. That's part of the story. Your best friend betrayed you into it. Plus, your people turned against you. Plus, they're led by a tyrant who doubts truth. Plus, you're a victim of the Roman Empire. Plus, you're completely innocent. Plus, everybody knows it. Plus, they, they choose a criminal to be released from this experience instead of you, even though they know he's a criminal and they know you're innocent. So, and you're young. And you've done no wrong, and all you've done is help people. So it's a limit story. Okay, so then you think, we've been looking at that limit story for 2,000 years in the image and in the story. What are we doing? Well, you're supposed to visit the stations of the cross, let's say. Okay, here's the idea. You hear the crucifixion story, and you play with it. Who are you? Maybe if you're female, you're Mary, and why is that? It's the Pieta. Because you have to offer your children to the destruction of the world. That's female courage. That's the mother that doesn't hold your child back. It's like, go out. To what? Eventually your death and destruction. Go out. Leave me. Be in the world. That's feminine courage, man. To let her baby go. You're a pilot. You doubt truth. But you're, you'll go along with the crowd. You're Judas because you betray your best friend. You're the mob. You're the criminal. All of that, that's you. You look on all those things that you hate and are terrified by. That's like, that's not a snake. It's like the worst of all possible snakes everywhere. That's what you're looking at. What do you see? You see death, you see destruction, pain, terror, tyranny, frailty, betrayal. Look harder, look harder. Look harder. What do you see? The death and resurrection. You look far enough into the abyss, you see the light. Now I so, sorry about that. I'm not really sure what was going on with the background noise. There sounded like some kids playing, which is, I mean, fine by me. But I thought that's just a fascinating insight into the connection between, and Jesus makes this connection between the serpent in the wilderness and Jesus himself. And again, there are other obvious spiritual applications for this, 
But Jordan Peterson is attacking this from his wheelhouse. And that wheelhouse is obviously psychology. And what I find so fascinating with this is that, you know, we forget about that side that God addresses in our own psychology. And we don't sometimes look at the cross in the sense of it represents every snake so to speak, as Jordan Peterson put it, that we ourselves fear. Everything that we might fear is represented there in our psychology. And so there are two major forces in this world. There's fear and love. Every negative emotion is spawned by fear. If a man is suffering from anger issues, one of the first things he needs to ask himself, if he wishes to conquer those things is what are you afraid of and what you think is i'm talking even the macho man's out there what are you afraid of because what you'll if you really truly ask yourself that in all honesty what you'll find is answers to that question like being disrespected not being you know respected as a man of the house or not being respected in a certain way or just that idea that you are just not valued or whatever the case may be there's there will be an answer to that so anger issues are always that negative emotion of anger is spawned by fear and fear of not being accepted comes you know with a man a lot of times finding self-worth and how many women that he pursues and sleeps with so there's a these negative emotions spawn from that one primal emotion which is fear and what the cross does when we look at the cross it makes us realize that jesus even to the psychological level took all those things and it makes us stare into the quote-unquote abyss into the darkness until we understand and 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 that jesus conquers all those things in the resurrection the resurrection is the light when you begin to look like jordan peterson look harder all those things represented on the cross that it even we even know that the sun is blotted and, and there's a moment of darkness when jesus dies and so that darkness covers the earth and we know and that covers our world before we know christ we are in that darkness we experience these fears but jesus when we lift up and look he helps us conquer those fears and I think that's a beautiful psychological evaluation. And we also know what the cross is for our physical healing and our emotional healing. So the psychology, the psychology there, I've never heard it explained any better. And I, I, I don't know if anybody else out there has heard that. I wanted to share that with the listeners in case you didn't, because I think it gives you really strong insight and in, in, to the psychology of both of those situations of what's going on and how God will sometimes do things to make us braver, to make us trust him more, to know that there's, it's like Moses actually talks about this process in Deuteronomy 32. He talks about, and it's called the song of Moses. And he talks about how a eagle will stir her nest and it'll, it will cause or she will cause the young to eventually, if you watch how an eagle trains its young, they'll eventually kick the birds out of the nest and make them try to fly. And they'll swoop down and catch them before they hurt themselves if they're not. But they'll continue this process. And the same process, Moses is actually making an allegory there to what God does. 
God swept down in Egypt and created these 10 plagues, demonstrating his superiority over the gods of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, took them to Mount Sinai to train them and get them ready and get them deprogrammed psychologically from all the junk that they had in Israel or Egypt. See, sometimes when we make that transition from being in the world into the kingdom of God, there's a lot of junk that needs to be dealt with. And God deals with that in people in different ways. Some of that junk is instantaneously taken away from us. And sometimes there's a process that we have to work through because God in his wisdom knows that if he doesn't gently do surgery here and gently take us out uh, or get this stuff out of our lives, get Egypt out of us, so to speak, that if he doesn't do that in a process, that ripping it away will cause some damage as well. And so we have to trust him and know that he's, he's doing something within us. The Holy Spirit within us is transforming us day to day. Every day that we get up and we decide to, to pick up our cross and obey him and to, and to focus on him, then there's a transformation that begins to happen on the inside of us. And I think it's, a, again, this beautiful idea that God is even concerned, and I think we forget this. He's concerned with our psychological health. He's concerned with how we think. He's concerned about, you know, our emotions and, and those things being out of control. And I, I think this is just a beautiful illustration of that. And Moses is showing in that song in Deuteronomy 32 that that process that he uses the eagle is that God will swoop in. But then there are times as you mature in the Lord, as you begin to walk this thing out, that he doesn't necessarily swoop down. He begins to partner with you. And that also is in the idea of the snake being lifted up on the pole. He didn't just come in and just take the snakes away like Peterson explained. He told Moses or gave Moses instruction in order to, one, deal with the psychological issue that was going on within these people, but also teach them that you have to partner with me. This is a partnership, and I'm not always going to swoop in and get you because you're no longer babies. You're walking into a mature Christian, if that makes sense. So it's the same way with the famous passage from Isaiah 40, 31, where those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. And then it has a digression. You shall run, you shall walk, and not faint. So if you look at that passage, it is a, di it is a digression. It's not like you're getting faster as this thing goes on, as you as you mature in Christ, you're actually, there's, there's something going on. And if you don't understand the, the processes that God takes his people through, you'll miss it. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So waiting is a, a process. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is something when you're young, and you're full of energy, you're running to everywhere. But then as you mature, you begin to walk. And there is a there is something about walking with the Lord that's a little bit different than running with the Lord. 
Walking with the Lord speaks of maturity. It speaks of taking your time and, and enjoying the journey, understanding that God is with you and that you guys are partners and you don't have to run and do all these things so fast all the time and 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 be out there and just be a, you know, I don't know what you call it a go-getter. Sometimes runners get ahead of God, but those that walk with him are always in lockstep with him. So again, the process, the psychological things that he takes us through. I think this is a great lesson. I'm not going to uh, promote using, you know, cuss words. I mean, he didn't cuss really bad, but in your Bible study. But again, it's, it is an insight into psychological processes that are right there in our Bible that we miss over and over again. And that's what, you know, I'm really kind of concerned about counseling. We got that counseling arena where we were losing counselors like crazy. I don't know if anybody has paid attention, especially for school counselors and stuff of that nature. But there's just not a lot of good counseling out there right now. They're getting burnt out and they're quitting. And I think a lot of that is because one, the organizations that they work through give them too much of a caseload. It's really, really tough job to listen to everybody's negative troubles. And it, it is tough. As a probation officer, you're almost like a mini counselor at times. And, you know, for 18 years, you listen to people. It, it, it's really, it is not easy. And sometimes you go home really, de- <laughs> if you're not careful, you go home really depressed or you wonder what you're doing and if you're making any difference. And that's a reason. But, the you know, I really believe that we need biblical counselors. We need people out there that can make these connections for people and understanding that there is a process in, psycholo- in psychology that God is taking a lot of people through and we need to help them walk through that. And we don't do a good job of that most of the time as a church because most church counselors, I mean, this is be honest, the, most religious counselors I come across are typically kind of flaky and, and really don't connect deeply like Jordan Peterson just did. That right there is a connection in biblical theology and psychology that you're just not going to hear every day. And it's a, it's a good thing. So I hope this urges you to kind of look at things in the Bible, maybe from a different perspective, as far as that whole idea behind mental mental health and understanding that there is mental health out there. It's not an excuse for the things that we do, but it is a reason for some things that we do in our life. We, it's never an excuse, but it is a reason. And so I think we can focus on maybe when we're reading stories, instead of looking at this strictly from a spiritual aspect, maybe start looking at it as a, as a aspect of how we are created. We are physical, but we are, we're spiritual but we have this soul thing going on where we're made up of the mind, will, and the emotions, and God wants to wants wholeness of the total person, not just spiritually, but with the mind, will, and emotions. All that needs to be healed and set free, and the physical body as well. So it's it's more than just when we come to our Bibles and read and we're trying to get spiritual nourishment. Yes, we are. But let's also look at this as how does this apply to my mental health? How does this apply to my emotional health? How does this apply to my my physical health? And I think that begins to transform the person as a whole, where we focus too much on one aspect of the person and we don't see true transformation within ourselves because we're thinking that the Bible's only good for the spiritual aspect. Well, your spirit's already being reborn. It's the other parts of your flesh 
that needed to be renewed. The Bible tells us this. And one of the first things the Bible tells you, if you want to be transformed, it's in the renewing of your mind and your thought life. And the only way to do that is to begin sometimes making these connections, reading the Word of God, and understanding how He works. The other beautiful thing that this shows is we're heading into a post-secularism world that there will be no longer a separation between science and spirituality. That's good and bad because of the spirituality new age it could be a little weird but you know we're seeing this idea that used to exist within the world before the 1800s of a cosmic christology where everything's in christ even our psychological healing our physical healing the sciences everything because God's given us everything. And that cosmic Christology, that everything's in him and everything was created for him and by him and in him all things are held together and exist, that's something that the church needs to return to and get a better grasp on. So again, I hope this message blessed you and you get something out of it. And until we talk again, God bless.